I'm uh, one of the pastors at this church, and it's my responsibility, along with my wife and a great army of volunteers, to run the food bank, as well as be uh, launching with a great team and your support, a venue in central St. Leonard's. I spent three days in Tesco's, I can't believe that, three whole days, like full days in Tesco's, um, meeting. He hears this voice saying, I can't remember if it's Saul or Paul, but Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And who are you? And he finds out he's Jesus. This fraudster, this carpenter from Nazareth, turns out to be the living God, turns out to be the king that the, all of the, the old part of the Bible has been building up to. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And like Brian shared from the front, rather than destroying him, saying, pick on me, I'll pick on you, 
He says, if you will turn to me, if you will put your trust, your faith in me, I will rescue you. I will cover over. I will wipe out your sins forever. And you will be able to live and follow me. This is the guy that's writing to uh, this church in Rome. And he says, Paul, I've got a special assignment for you. I want you to be my special ambassador, my emissary, my missionary. I want you to carry my message, the truth of who I am and how I relate to people, to the known world at the time. And so Paul introduces himself at the start of this letter. He says, I'm Paul. I'm a servant of King Jesus. I'm one he sent with the message, the good news of hope that you can be made right with God. And then last week, uh, Paul, who led the meeting this morning, he spoke about how come God can just make us righteous. If he's so just and so holy, how come he can make people righteous? You see, do you think God forgives sin? This is a question for you. Does God forgive sin? Put your hand up if you think, if you think God forgives sin. Put your hand up if you think God forgives some sin, but some are unforgivable. Put your hand up if you think God never forgives sin. He always punishes it. You know the cross where Jesus was utterly destroyed, where not just the worst humans could do, but the wrath of God was poured on him. It says that was for our sin. God hates sin. He despises it. He's so angry with it because of what it causes. In fact, the Bible says he's opposed to it. Wherever he sees it, it brings his judgment, his wrath, and his anger. There's not a sin, however big, from genocide down to a mean heart attitude that brings from God anything but judgment. So how come... He can forgive sinners like he's so famous for doing. If God hates sin and punishes it so much, how come he can be famous for forgiving sinners? That's what Paul was looking at last week. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How can you be saved if God is committed to wiping out and destroying all sin? It's because of Jesus. You see, Jesus came and died on the cross, not for his sin, but for yours and for mine. And Paul said, um, reading from the chapter in Romans before this one, because Jesus came, because he lived a perfect life and then offered himself up to die on the cross for you and for me, he was found guilty, so we now can be found not guilty. Not forgiven for our sin, found not guilty. Why? Because he was found guilty for us. He, read my notes, we can be redeemed. We can be bought out of slavery to sin, to guilt, to shame, because he was punished. He was destroyed for us. And then there's another word called propitiate. So the first word is from the law courts. He's guilty, we go innocent. The second is from the slave market. He was uh, 
condemned so we can be set free. And the third one is a relational one. The anger, the hatred, the utter hatred that God has towards sin coming to us was turned and poured onto Jesus. This is a relational thing. So that if you come to Jesus, he's no longer angry with you. His wrath is no longer directed at you because it's been poured onto Jesus. So therefore... God can be right and just and holy in forgiving sinners, not because he turns a blind eye and lets you off. That's not just and fair and right. Because Jesus paid the price for you and for me, for the big stuff and the little stuff. That's what Paul was looking at last week. Now this week, I'm looking at the question, wow, I want that. I need that. How can I have that? If that's true, how can I have that? If you're telling me when I die and meet the living God, I can have, I will not have to pay for my sin. My shame will be taken away. I've got to have that. I can't think of a more important question to answer on planet Earth. Can you? How can I find forgiveness? How can I have peace with God? How can this be true for me? And in chapter 4 of the, of the letter to the Romans, which I've been asked to speak on today, the Apostle Paul takes the life of Abraham. We all know Abraham, don't we? Three world religions came from, from his offspring, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. They all find their roots back to him. He's one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, clearly, I don't think, you must be, you haven't spawned a worldwide religion from you yet, have you? He's got three. He's immense. And Paul's going to take the life of Abraham and say, how can you be forgiven? How can you be free? Let's look at Abraham. And he's going to say, was it because he's a great guy? Was it because he was just so immense? His work, he's going to say no. Was it through circumcision, this sign that he received of being part of the people of God. He's going to say, no, it wasn't. Was it through keeping the law? We remember when God spoke to Moses and gave the law. Did Abraham somehow keep the law? Was that what made him right with God? And Paul's going to give an emphatic no. Each time he's going to say, no, it's by faith. No, it's by faith. No, it's simply by putting your trust in what Jesus has already done for you. So, Let's have a look. I'm going to read the first section, verses uh, 1 to 8. What then shall we say Abraham gained according to his flesh or being human? If Abraham was justified or made right by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. Because what does Scripture say? And he quotes Genesis 15, verse 6 from the life of Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what they're owed. But to the one that does not work, but believes in him who makes right the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. To the one who God counts righteous apart from works. Oh, sorry. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who God counts righteous apart from works. So he's throwing in a quote from King David, their greatest ever king. And he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will now not count his sin. Now, before we come on to works, circumcision and law, I'm afraid... Paul's written this in such a way that I've got to offend some of you. Okay? So bear with me. You'll see that it says in verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who makes right the ungodly. The ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. And then King David said, blessed are you when your lawless deeds are forgiven, your sins are covered, and the Lord doesn't count your sin against you. If you know in your heart something is wrong, if you know actually you're a wicked person, if you know you don't measure up, if you know you carry shame, I've got good news for you. That's the sort of person who God saves by faith. That's good news. No matter how wicked you are, no matter how full of shame and guilt you are, Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came for you. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came to seek and save that which was lost. No wonder they called him a friend of sinners. Here's the problem. We're quite nice people. I've been to Tesco's. They donated three tonne of food. Some people give money. We're quite nice. We don't think of ourselves, I'm not ungodly. I'm British, you know. If there's two choices, okay? And I'm sorry to have to offend you, but there's two choices. You can get to the end of your life, stand before God, and pay for your own sin. And you will be surprised by how much there is and how much God hates your sin. Or you can turn to Jesus now, in this life, and that's it, and he will take the punishment for all of your sin and all of your shame. I was trying to think about this. God hates pollution, okay? And so do I. So do we. You know when people stop their car, they open the door, and they just lob their ashtray out all over the floor, and you feel yourself going, that's outrageous. Or when great big companies pour chemicals, just open the sluice gates and pour the chemicals into the rivers where the kids play, and we think, that's evil. Or people that just go and fly-tip all their rubbish in your back garden. We all point the finger at them and say, they're polluters, aren't they? They They should get justice. Well, what about all of us pollute, don't we? I don't know about you, in my house, loads of food gets chucked away, loads of packaging gets chucked away, there's plastic I've given that ends up being even in the food chain. We're all polluters in so many ways, 
But we're so used to pollution that we don't even see our own anymore. We don't even rate it. What's the problem? They're the bad guys. I'm fine. It's like that with sin. We're so used to sin. We're so used to miserable attitudes, judgmental attitudes, lustful, shameful, wrong thinking, anti-God. We're so used to it. That it's only when someone does something really, really bad, we go, oh, they deserve judgment. And we never think about our own sin. You must get right with God. You must do it in this life. Not because I'm telling you to, because otherwise you'll stand before God and you'll face the wrath of God. It's what the Bible says, for your sin. Or you can turn to Jesus. That's why we are unashamedly bonkers about Jesus. Hallelujah. What a saviour. He gave everything for me. So if you are here and you think, man, I'm at church. That's the last place I should be. I feel bad enough. Let me tell you, no, you're not going to get condemned. You're not going to get judged here. You might just get free. You might just get forgiven, even this morning. And there'll be an opportunity at the end, if you want, to say, Jesus, take my sin. Jesus, take my shame. Please, let me walk free. There'll be an opportunity for you to stand, because the Bible says this. If you are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. But if you stand for him, Jesus, who lives forever, will stand for you. So we are going to ask you to make a response. But there'll be an opportunity for you. So, salvation is for the ungodly. Thank goodness for that. I was horrible. Right, little urchin. I was horrible. And he saved me and he changed me. And I'm getting less and less horrible every day. (laughs) So, it's for the ungodly. And then there's three sort of sections. And I want to show you this video quick because I wanted to preach the gospel, but I also wanted to show you some Hong Kong fooey. Who is this superhero? Sarge? No. Rosemary, the telephone operator? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? Could be. Brilliant, thank you. The reason for showing you that is because I love Hong Kong Fui. <laughs> but And I've got the mic now. This, I love Hong Kong Fui. But also, even though what I've just said, you could, it really isn't by what you do, it really isn't by being part of a club or so, it really isn't by following law, it really is by faith. It's not Sarge, the, the, the one with all the authority, it's not Rosemary who's got the skills, it's the janitor, it's faith that saves us. Hong Kong Fui turned out to be the superhero. It's just for, how do I get right with God? What have I got to do? What have I, what have I got to be? What have... It's by faith. The janitor. You can just step in and be free. It says in that first bit, it's not by works. And I want to, why is it not by works? Because Jesus has done it. What it means is, it's not by your works. It wasn't by Abraham's work that he was justified. It was a gift. We get in by Jesus' works. It's not by your works It's by Jesus's. It says, it was verse 
3, it says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted, given, put into his account as righteousness. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. It's not by works. You'll never earn it. It's not by your works. It's by his. Do I have to be good? No. Do I have to read my Bible? No. Do I have to pray? No. Do I have to do anything? No, it's not my works, it's his. He's earned it for me. He's done it. He's won it for me. Guess what I got on the exam? 100% every time. But you're not that clever. I know, it's outrageous. It's not my works, it's his. I, I put my trust in his works for me. That's good news for two reasons. He's perfect, If you're going to stand before the living God, holy God, you need to be absolutely spotless. He's holy. He's just. He's eternal. You've got to be absolutely perfect. If you want to bring your works, you can't give a little bit to charity. You've got to be absolutely perfect every time. Jesus was. He didn't ever think anything wrong. He didn't ever say anything wrong. He didn't ever do anything wrong. Everything that he should have done, he did. And everything he shouldn't have done, he didn't. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. What for? It wasn't for himself. It was for you and for me. I'm not saved by my works. I didn't go to the morning prayer meeting this morning. It was at seven o'clock. I've been at Tesco's for three whole days. I didn't go because I knew I was preaching and I wanted to serve you. Guess what? There are no black marks in my book. It's not going to come up in heaven. Jesus did it all, every time, every day. You know when you have a really bad day and you think, I've got to be the worst Christian on the planet. You pass. You got a hundred percent. You got a well done. You got a sticker if that's your thing. Jesus, I'm saved because of his works, not mine. When I put my trust in him, when I have faith in what he's done, God says, well done. And I get counted right before God. It's not fair, is it? If you really understand that, what you'll think is, that sounds a sweet deal. So I could put my trust in Jesus and then do whatever I liked. Yeah. That's what makes Christianity different to every other religion on the planet. If you look at them properly, they all say, really, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. At the end, it'll be weighed up. You might be reincarnated up or down. At the end, you'll meet God and he'll weigh your stuff in the scales and we'll see if you make it. Not Christianity. It says, give it up. You don't stand a chance. Get in Jesus or you won't make it. I'm saved because of his works, not mine. Every day, all the time, in every way. So I love to pray. I love to sing. I don't come to the prayer because I've got to. It's like, keep me away. I want to connect with this God who saved me. I want to read. I want to find out more about him. I want to grow to be like him. I want to tell others because I don't want them to face the wrath of God. That's what motivates and changes me. In the next section, which I'm not going to read, but it just, it says, 
is this blessing just for the circumcised? And what's going on in this church, there was Jew and Gentile, and the Jews were considered the people of God, and they had this sign called circumcision uh, in, in, uh, in their foreskin, which um, or removal of the foreskin, that Abraham was first given to Abraham. And what some people were asking, if this is true, what about circumcision? Doesn't that save you? I was like, look, it's not your works, it's his. It's also not any ceremony you've been through or belonging to any group. It's not the fact you've been cut, it's the fact he's been cut. It's not the fact you were cut in your body, he was cut in his body. His back was whipped and broken as God went, I hate sin, I'll punish it, all of it. It's disgusting. It's offensive to me. It needs judgment and wrath on Jesus. It's not circumcision that saves you. Abraham was saved by faith. And God said, because you're mine, be circumcised. I'm going to put my mark on you, my seal on you. If I want to be a soldier, it's no good going down to the army surplus shop and buying a uniform, coming out going, I'm a soldier. I'm going off to fight. I just get shot. I'm not a soldier. I'm someone from Civvy Street with a uniform. What's inside is not the same as what's outside. If you've been christened or baptised and you've never actually put your trust in Jesus, you're wearing the uniform, but you're not one inside. What's inside doesn't match outside. Baptism doesn't save us. No ritual saves us. You have to put your trust in Jesus. And when you do, he says, Yes, I accept you. I remove your sin, your guilt, your shame. I'll give you a new heart, one that's responsive to me. You will be literally born again. If you're not a Christian, you're amongst people that are different to you. We've been born again. Something that was dead in me and unresponsive to God, when I chose to follow him, put my trust in him, came alive. And it changed everything. Next, he goes on and says that the people in the church who were Jews said, what about the law? It's what distinguishes us from everyone else. You, you gave us the law to Moses. And there was this tradition that Abraham, even though he was before Moses, somehow kept the law. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with God's law. It's perfect, holy and right. The problem is we can't keep it. So when the law comes, what it does is it shows us we're guilty. It shows us we need a saviour. That's part of the reason it was given. If you don't believe me, it says, love your neighbour. Oh yeah, some of you are struggling now, aren't you? Love your neighbour. Not when you feel like it, when they've got a party at three o'clock in the morning. It says, love your enemy. Oh. Love your enemy? Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your enemy. This is what God is like. This is the standard. This is what he's looking for across the earth. Love your enemy. Done that recently? All the time? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Done that recently? It says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. You've already committed adultery in your heart. It says, don't ever do any good works in front of people to get some praise. Just don't gossip, don't slander. It says this is the fulfilment of the law. 
Love God and love others. Basically, don't live for yourself. The law has come to prove you need a saviour. Trying to follow the law, you're never going to make it. You're going to end up at the end. You're going to fall short and you're going to have to stand before God and take the punishment, the penalty, rightly deserved for everything you've done wrong. Or, as I've already said, you can give it to Jesus. He then, so that's the three things. It's not the strength of your works. It's not being in the right club, having the right ceremony. It's not trying to follow God's law or any other. It's by coming to Jesus, who did the work for you, who was cut for you, and perfectly followed God's law. In fact, he was the living embodiment of God's law. And then it moves on to the best news of all. At the end, it says, Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. But the words counted to him were not written just for Abraham. God knew that the people of God would come from Abraham. God knew everyone would look back to Abraham. And it was written down, counted to Abraham as, as, as being made right. Not for him, but for us as well. It wasn't just Abraham who trusted in God's word and was made right. It's for us who trust in, not Abraham, but Jesus. It says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, who delivered him up for our trespass and raised him for our justification. What does that mean? Look, Jesus died for your sin. He stepped forward and he said, you can't pay for it, I'll do that. He died for your sin so you can be declared innocent, you can go free, you can walk out of the jailhouse and the wrath of God is put aside. But how are you going to live free? Then what are you going to do? What are you going to do when an accusation comes from your own conscience? When Satan comes and says, oh, the accuser says, what are you going to do? Look, Jesus was raised again. He lives. He lives. The Bible says he's ever living, praying for you. When someone comes and says, Brian did that, he can say, oh, there he is. Go and talk to Jesus. He paid for it. When someone says, John did that, you say, oh, there he is. He's alive. He's seated on the throne. Go and talk to Jesus. You can't go to Confucius. You can't go to Muhammad. You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't go to all these other uh, worlds. They're dead. They can't help you. However much truth that they've woven into what they're saying, they're dead. You need a living hope. I need someone to fight for me every day. Jesus didn't just pay for my sins, but he is alive. I met him years ago in a back room of somebody's house I didn't know at university when they said, you need hope. I said, yes, I do. They said, go in there, talk to God, and don't come out till you know Jesus. And I went in and I said, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died for me. Please forgive my sin and my rebellion and all I've done wrong. And I started off feeling like a right wally because it was like there was nothing there, like I was throwing words at the ceiling. And then something happened and a change in my heart. There were no lights. I came out of that room a different person and I've followed him every, every, ever since for years. And you know what? Every day I wake up, he's still there. He's still there. He is alive and he lives to fight for you. My I urge you today, give your life to Jesus. Put your trust in what he's done for you.
Get free of your sin and your shame. Respond to him today.